Hey. Hey, are you here? Estás aquí? There you are. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We're honored that you're here. Joining us on this episode is Stefan Bartenfeld, or Stephen Bartenfeld, also known as Elvis Bartenfeld. He's even been called Steve Reno. Actually, he's originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Stephen Bartenfeld is a former radio personality. He was on the station KISS, KISS 102.7, and Y105.5. He's also performed as a professional Elvis Presley impersonator. Wait, wait, not impersonator. An Elvis Presley tribute artist. Stephen Bartenfeld is also an Elvis historian. His passion for Elvis Presley is enduring and entertaining. Now, these days, Stephen Bartenfeld is a professional voiceover artist, like me, with great versatility, like me. But that's not all. He also is the president of the Houston Parrothead Club, a not-for-profit organization for people who enjoy Jimmy Buffett's music and have a tropical spirit. <laughs> okay, real quick. If you can help, please help. Help keep the Paul Leslie Hour going. Consider going over to www.thepaulleslie.com support. Thank you, and we're glad you are here. And now, Viva Stefan Bartenfeld, right here on the Paul Leslie Hour. All right, sir, here we are. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm just fine. Good. Awesome. Well, folks, I want to introduce the man we're speaking with. We're joined by Stephen Bartenfeld. He is a man of many interests. Some of you might know him as Elvis Bartenfeld, but we'll get into that in just a few minutes. He's a friend from fairly way back, a long time, no speak to, but he is a voiceover artist. He's done a lot of things. He's performed. He has been on the radio, and he's a lover of Elvis Presley among other musical interests. I'm so pleased to have you with us. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Steve, tell us, where are you from originally? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. And tell us a little bit about what was life like growing up for you? I mean, it was pretty good. I was the youngest of a family of five. And my dad left when I was 11 years old. So, and then, you know, uh, there's a pretty big age gap between me and the rest of my siblings. So, you know, for a time, it was just me and my mother. Oh, I see. So what about your early interests? When you were a, a young fellow, what was it that you were most into? I always liked music. Um, you know, I think I discovered the Beatles at an early age. And actually the band Kiss <laughs> around the same time. <laughs> Beatles and Kiss. Yeah, they were my favorite bands. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. When I was about eight years old, I discovered those. I think when I first saw a Kiss album, I was at Kmart. And I remember at first it frightened me because they looked like women with the makeup, but they had hairy <laughs> chest. And that was strange. <laughs> so I didn't know what to make about it. 
then you know they started coming on the radio and then there was uh tv shows and movies and merchandise i got into all that and then when i first heard of it just blew me away you know well one of my early memories having met you back in the day was you were definitely passionate about the music of elvis presley that's right how did you become an elvis presley fan Really, the Elvis thing started kind of late, I would say, in my early 20s. Of course, I always knew who Elvis was. Uh, but I think it was in the um, early 90s. I just, for fun, I asked my mom to make me an Elvis costume for Halloween. I started, <laughs> I started doing it for fun. And uh, I remember one day I went to a uh, place in Gainesville, Georgia, and there was a guy performing. You know, wasn't the best Elvis I ever saw, but I did notice that he packed this place in and people were paying a cover charge and just packing it in. I said, you know what? If I worked a little bit and was even half as good as this guy, I could, I could pick up a few bucks for myself. <laughs> so what I started to do was I started getting his live, C live CDs, his DVDs, all those kind of things. And the live stuff really blew me away mm. because they never played that on the radio. You never, and you never saw these concerts, you know? So, Watching Elvis live in concert really was, uh, it just made me a fan. I was like, this guy's so underrated, really. I mean, the people, they don't know, you know, <laughs> he had this electricity that surrounded him that, um, I mean, nobody else had it. So, you know, it was kind of through that, that I became an Elvis fan and I really got into it. And I was like, man, this guy really was the king. <laughs> what do you think it is? Because. There have been a lot of singers through the years, mm -hmm. a lot of recording artists, a lot of incredible entertainers. But Elvis Presley is somebody who has continued to just permeate the popular culture. Why do you think he has that enduring quality? Well, that's a lot of things, really. Elvis came around at the right time. He was kind of like got in on the ground floor, so to speak. He had the sound. I mean, it's not like he's a great singer with a fantastic range, but you could make an argument that Roy Orbison was a better singer. But Elvis had something that all the rest of them didn't have. You know, he had the right look, his mannerisms, his style, the way he moved. And you put that with also being a great singer and, you know, being able to look good on TV and movies and everything. He just had it all. It's just stood the test of time. Nobody has had the total package like Elvis. You could hold up anybody and just say, well, you know, they're good at this, but not good at that. And Elvis really did have it all. I have a memory of walking around in Key West with you many years ago, and we had a, a pretty lengthy conversation about Elvis. But to, to make it more personal, what do you, Stephen Bartenfeld, what do you love about Elvis? I mean, you know, it's kind of like... It's everything. I loved his music, especially the stuff I thought his music got better as he got older. He knew a lot more about music by the time he got into the 70s. And, you know, he had his own style. The jumpsuits were fun. He had a whole orchestra behind him, which, you know, he told them where he wanted them to come in and how he wanted it orchestrated. I mean, and he hired the best of the best to be in his band. You know, it was kind of everything. And I think, you know, being from the South, I identified with him on some level. You know, I knew what the, he ate the same kind of foods I ate growing up and, you know, it's, it's just kind of a different thing, you know, and I've been to Graceland, I think uh, four times and you just, you feel like when you're there, you, I don't know, you, you become a part of Elvis. Hmm. Interesting. So when you began performing 
as Elvis Presley or a tribute to Elvis Presley. Was mm-hmm. there a favorite song of yours to perform? Yeah, different times, you know, I had different ones. I love the song Moody Blue. I like the song Stranger in a Crowd. I used to love the one that uh, Walk a Mile in My Shoes was a great song. That was one. You mainly heard Elvis do that in 1970. If you saw um, You Had to Be There Live, he did that one. And uh, he would start that off with a poem first and lead into it. And it was very cool. Well, what about not just to perform, but maybe a most underrated Elvis Presley track that people out there can look up? Oh, there's a lot of them. I think Stranger in the Crowd is a great one. Yeah. That's a great one that, like I said, that's not going to be one of those main ones you hear on the radio. I don't know if I've ever heard that on the radio. But that one, he uh, that was also from that period of 1970 where he was just launching his Vegas comeback. And he was on fire. He was skinny and he was, you know, tan and he, he, he had it, you know, and he debuted the real jumpsuit look at that point. They were not as uh, elaborate as they would later become. But it was it was very cool. It was a lean, mean show. You know, he had his own kind of rhythm at that stage. So as of yet, you have not seen the new movie entitled Elvis. No, I haven't. I have seen a lot of them. I haven't seen that one yet. It is on my list. And of course, I've read a lot of biographies about Elvis. I always liked the Kurt Russell one. That was, I think it was uh, released a year after Elvis died. And they even got permission to shoot that on Graceland and, and everything. I thought he did a good job on that one. What is the best book about Elvis that's ever been written? It's called Last Train to Memphis by Peter Goralnik. And he also did a follow-up book. I believe it's called Careless Whisper. Just continues it on. The first one covers Elvis pretty much from, from the day he was born. All, hmm. the, way, all the way up until around, uh, I think, after the Army. Uh, coming home after that, shooting some of the earlier films. That it's it's the most in-depth. I mean, it's almost day-by-day history of Elvis. And I don't know how he researched all that, but it <laughs> must have taken forever. Hmm. But it, it uh, everything you want to know about Elvis and some things you didn't, you know, I mean, he's going to tell it to you. So it's, if they ever made that into a, I don't know if they could ever make it into a movie because it would be so long. I think what they would have to do with that is turn it into like either an HBO series or Paramount Plus. There's a couple of the docu-series I've seen on there that... You know, there's one winning time about the Los Angeles Lakers HBO Max has on there. It's really good. And one called The Offer about the making of The Godfather that Paramount Plus does. If they did it in a similar kind of way, I think they could pull it off. Hmm. So as I was mentioning at the introduction, you have a variety of experiences, including acting. And you've done some acting, television shows. Some of you out there might remember the show Savannah. I remember Mm -hmm. that one. And then also I'll fly away less familiar with Andersonville, but do you have a most memorable experience from your experiences with acting? Yeah. I mean, I've done some theater and I've done some TV in those cases, you know, I was support cast in those. So it wasn't a big part, but I would say the uh, TNT Andersonville was probably the most miserable experience I've ever done. (laughs) Although the food was good. They fed you well, but (laughs) That was filmed in Peachtree City, Georgia, on this large property. They actually constructed a prisoner of war camp. This was during the Civil War. And, I mean, it looked real. And they had you at wardrobe so early. It was like 4 or 5 in the morning. 
And then they'd rub this makeup on you, your face. It's like dirt. I mean, it, was, it took like three days to get it off. But they would have you just constantly walking around. In the morning, it would be very cold. And then after sunrise, it would get extremely cold and then turn instantly really hot. So it was just, uh, that was a difficult experience. That one was three days. The other ones I did over a period of just one day at a time. And those were okay. At least, you know, um, you got to take breaks on those a, lot, a little bit more often. But they were going for realism, I guess, on Andersonville. You, uh, you had to look the part. So <laughs> don't be too well rested on that one. Mm. Well, I've done some uh, little supporting type acting. It seemed like everybody there was trying to get more acting gigs. But I was kind of like in reverse at that time. I was just trying to make money. So I was asking people like, are there any restaurant jobs out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably pay better than that. Yeah, I was totally there for the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they paid okay. Yeah, you know, and um, some fed. You know, I think most of them you got fed, if I yeah. remember right. Right. Uh, you know, but they were all very different. You know, and all supposed to take place in different places. It's just like um, I'll Fly Away was filmed at Agnes Scott College, but it was supposed to be like the University of Alabama, I think it was. It was supposed to be that day that they integrated the school. I was supposed to be one of those protesters. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so that was a, a full day of that. Sam Watterson was there, and it was really cool. I uh, got to meet him. And uh, so that was supposed to, of course, at Savannah was shot at Little Five Points at a uh, outside of a theater there. It's supposed to look like Savannah. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't Savannah. It's uh, Little Five Points in Atlanta. We're going to link to your voiceover artist platform on the paulleslie.com, but you're a great voiceover artist. I listen to a lot of the, yes, sir. Great range. Steve, who would you say has an exceptional speaking voice? I would say there's several. Of course, James Earl Jones, I think is fantastic. Morgan Freeman, Charlton Heston is no longer alive, but he had a great one. Yeah, uh, George George Decay, I think, is fantastic, and I've gotten to meet George Decay a few times, and he's fun, a very unique voice. And every now and then, I am a, I impersonate him for for jobs that people want me to do. So for me, it's not real hard. <laughs> I don't know why, but he's he's a nice guy. I've met him a, a few times. He's pretty cool. I got a picture of me with him somewhere. Oh, nice. Well, is there somebody you can impersonate really well that you could do? Uh, I do a lot of people I've done, you know, the first one I ever learned was when I think it was around eight years old, eight or nine years old. I did Bullwinkle Moose. I don't know if for people that do voices, I don't know if everybody's like me, but I can tell you sometimes you just hear a voice and know that you can do it. Yeah. So it, it was just kind of one of those things. So I was like watching cartoons one day and I was like, oh, I can do that. And I started doing it and I could, and then started watching all, you know, the, Hanna-Barbera and Warner Brothers, like, um, oh, you know, um, Bugs Bunny <laughs> and people like that. It's, uh, you know, and I remember my first, uh, one of my favorites was called What's Opera Doc? Most people know that as Kill the Wabbit. He dressed <laughs> like a Viking. Right. And I, I used to imitate that one all the time. And uh, <laughs> that was a favorite. And I can do a bit of that one for you if you like. There's a, 
there's a scene, you know, where he's dressed up like the Viking and then uh, Bugs is dressed up like the female Viking and he'll go, <laughs> oh, Broomhilda, you're so lovely. Yes, I know it. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, some people, they want me to do Arnold and say, come on, let's go. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and then there's Stallone and Clint Eastwood and all kinds of people like that. So, <laughs> Well, can you give us a little bit of Clint Eastwood? Okay. Well, I know what you're thinking. You shoot six shots or only five. <laughs> and all this confusion, I kind of lost track myself. Hoping this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would easily blow your head clean off. you got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Will do you, punk? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Yeah, my pleasure. So what kind of voiceover project would you most like to do? The most things I'd most like to do is uh, animation or maybe video games, I think. But I, I get calls a lot for YouTube. That seems to be a big thing these days. So there's a bunch of YouTube videos out there. I must have done hundreds by now where I'm <laughs> the voice of them. Where, and some of them I change my voice. So it's not going to necessarily be the way I talk now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, I'll do these. I tell you the ones that are real popular right now. People love to do these um, inspirational quotes through from people throughout history, living or dead, whatever. And they'll have me, they'll flash a picture up on the wall of this person, and these quotes just appear and disappear. And my voice will be narrating it. So oh. I may, I may do, they may want an, an older voice that sounds like this that'll say something like, It does not matter how slowly you go. As long as you do not stop. Or I mean, they may want the in a world voice that I do from like the old movie trailers. And I'll go, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Excellent. Oh, thanks. Yes, absolutely. So another thing about you, uh, again, many, many interests. Am I correct that you are the president of the Houston Parrothead Club? Yeah, that is correct. I've been a longtime Jimmy Buffett fan. I don't know. It was never something I sought out to do, but it just kind of happened. <laughs> so, so now I'm the president of a Parrothead Club. And I joined originally the Atlanta Parrothead Club in the mid-90s. And I was just kind of, you know, looking for a group. They like to do what I like to do. So I thought that was cool. You know, I love Jimmy Buffett. And I was, at that point, I think almost obsessed with Jimmy Buffett. So, <laughs> I, so I was just like, all right, this is cool. I just couldn't get enough of it. So I did that. And, you know, uh, one day moved to Houston and eventually became the president of this club. So how did you become a Buffett fan? Well, that's uh, okay. So when I was a teenager, I used to hang out with a friend of mine. Uh, we never, uh, he listened to different kind of music than I did. So <laughs> it was just, and you know, uh, some of the music that he listened to then, I kind of listened to now, but I didn't listen to then. He was mostly in the college music scene, which really, you know, some of it I liked, some of it I didn't, you know, it was okay. But he had this Jimmy Buffett, I think it was a cassette back then. <laughs> and he uh he was just like he's throwing out some of his old stuff he's like i don't want this you want this it was like uh, songs you know by heart right it's one everybody has right so uh i put that in and i was like you know and i known knew a couple of the songs 
you know, because I guess I'd heard them. I mean, everybody's heard them. You go to a resort when you're a kid, you've heard somebody do Margaritaville or come on here. <laughs> so I was playing. I was like, oh, man, this is great. And just throughout the years, I just kind of casually listened to it every now and then. And one day he came to town to Atlanta at Lakewood Amphitheater. That's what they called it back then. And uh, I went to the show and I was like, hey, this is really great. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of one of those things. I remember seeing um, on the Jumbotron, they showed all the tailgating stuff. So I was like, what is this? I never seen anything like that before. So I was like, you know what? Next time he comes around, I'm going to go. I'm going to try that out. <laughs> so I did. And, you know, before you do it, I bought the box set and all his other albums and everything else I could get my hands on. And I just, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just thought he was amazing. And since then, I don't even know how many concerts I've been to, but it's been a lot. <laughs> well, can you think of or make any connection between Elvis Presley and Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, there's actually a lot of connections between Elvis and Jimmy Buffett. They were both born in Mississippi. Right. Jimmy, I think it was in Pascagoula. Is that right? That's right. Uh, okay. Too below for Elvis. And they both kind of started out the same kind of way. You know, um, just a guy on the guitar had a dream. You know, uh, Elvis moved to um, Memphis when he was a kid for a while. Uh, Jimmy Buffett lived in Nashville. And, you know, so they have a similar past. There's something else that people may not think about. When Elvis came out, they didn't know how to classify his music. They just didn't. They didn't know. They to Back then, it was white music, black music. You were one or the other. Hmm. They didn't know what he was. And they <laughs> he dressed like, I don't know, he dressed like something that white people didn't dress like. <laughs> but he yeah. did his hair look like a trucker <laughs> with the pomade and stuff. I mean, they just did not know where to put this guy. And, you know, Jimmy Buffett's kind of the same kind of way. Was he folk? Was he country? Was he rock? Was he island music? I mean, they just did not know what to call him. A lot of people call it trop rock now, but it's because of Jimmy Buffett that Jimmy Buffett invented that style of music. I mean, you could make a case for Harry Belafonte and some other people that, that were definitely down there, Bob Marley, but really the way Jimmy Buffett does it is original to Jimmy Buffett, just like it's the same with Elvis. It was original to Elvis. He had his own thing. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah, and plus there are some Jimmy Buffett songs that reference Elvis. <laughs> there are so, quite a few. Yeah. yeah, there are. There are quite a lot of them. Even Elvis Imitators, which is one that he did, which uh, that's why I started wearing the uh, Elvis suit at the Jimmy Buffett stuff, because there was a, that connection. So I thought that was fun. Right. Yeah. And he even, if I'm remembering correctly, he even had the Jordan Airs join him on that studio track. I, I had heard that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. So tell us, what brought you to Texas from Atlanta? Well, I was just looking for a change, you know, and, um, you know, it just seemed like a good place. So I just kind of wanted to uh, start over. And then, you know, it just after a while, it kind of um, I put down roots here. You know, I have a family here. I have an 11 year old daughter and uh, she's awesome. Congrats. And, uh, and my wife helps me a lot. On a lot of my stuff, especially the technical stuff on my website and everything. I'd, I'd have a hard time navigating that without her. Well, congratulations, Steve. Thanks. And what would you say is the best thing about Houston? Well, it's not the heat. <laughs> <laughs> it's hotter there, isn't it? I think it's hotter than hell. So yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. And I grew up, grew up in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, I got to say Houston's worse. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. far as that goes. But, uh, you know, Houston's a great city as far as getting around in. It's a culturally diverse city. and has a lot going 
on there. You know, we got two tiki bars right now. Nice. <laughs> I, I enjoy those. Hey, I like that kind of stuff. Good cultural scene, good music scene. If you like the theater, you know, they have that. And, you know, there's a lot of suburbs of Houston that you can live in where you can avoid a lot of the traffic. And uh, I just think there's a lot of good opportunity here. And I work from home, so I could do that anywhere. But but I enjoy it. Well, having the perspective that you do, what is the best thing about being Stephen Bartenfeld? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> I don't know. I'm an optimistic person. I always try to, you know, no matter what life throws at me. And I've, I've been through stuff like everybody else. But, um, you know, I try to have a sunny disposition on life and, you know, enjoy what I do. I feel like everything I've done in my life has brought me to where I am now. You know, it's certainly not every path is a straight one. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny, you know, I've, I've wanted to be a professional actor and I, I was, you know, I guess I still am being you know, a voice actor, whatever. And I wanted to work in radio. I grew up watching WKRP, like a lot of people and Johnny fever was my idol. And I wanted to be that guy. So I, you know, I did that for a little while. And then when I was at the radio station, they had me doing a lot of the commercials. And I kind of discovered a passion for that. I enjoyed it. I, you know, the creative process of, you know, here's a piece of paper with words on it. And you can turn that into whatever you want to. You know, you put the music on there. You voice it in the style you want to. All the way uh, to, you know, back then we dubbed them on carts, which looked like an eight track. And you stick it in the you know the machine <laughs> of course now everything's digital we were just getting into digital back then and i do like the digital format i think it's very cool there's a lot of things i can do you know i don't have to use a razor blade in a uh a uh, reel-to-reel <laughs> <laughs> anymore for editing so it, it's pretty cool what you can do and the way the internet works is the way you can get business that you couldn't get before mm -hmm. um so you know i yeah i enjoy the freedom that allows me, I like being able to get up every day. And, you know, I have, you know, when you get to do your own thing, you know, nobody can tell you you can't go to your daughter's party at her school or something like that. I can always schedule my day to do that. So I enjoy that. I enjoy the time with family and friends. And, you know, I do like the whole parrot head thing and, you know, scheduling activities with uh, the people on the board that I work with there. You know, I think we have a really good time. And we also, you know, give back to our community with charity stuff that we do. And I think that's good. You know, I think it gives you some perspective on life and helping others, I think, is always a good thing. Absolutely. So I think that this is a question that reveals a lot about a person. It seems simple, but I think it's revealing. What is your all-time favorite meal? My all-time favorite meal? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> I like a lot of different things. So, you know, I like anything from ribs to sushi to um, tacos. I, I do love tacos. My favorite of those. Uh, maybe that's my favorite. I like those El Pastor tacos, the uh, the roasted pork. Oh, yeah. They, that's really good. Uh, they put the cilantro onions and diced pineapple on. Like, that's the Mexican style. If you get them like that, that's the best way. Oh, I love yeah. that. That, to me, I could eat that forever. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's my favorite meal. But much like the man himself, your answer reveals a person with very, very diverse interests. Yeah. From ribs well, to sushi. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like them all. I've even had the fried peanut butter banana sandwiches. 
I've had, had those at the uh, Sun Studios. They have a diner built into that place. And I actually had them uh, there prepared the way Elvis would eat them. We have a mutual friend, Jeff Pike, who went with me. And uh, <laughs> and he'll tell you stories about that trip sometime if you ask him. But <laughs> that was a fun experience. We split like a really big one. And it was really good, though. <laughs> I got it. But it was, it's actually pretty tasty. They fry it in butter. It's, it's got to be the worst thing in the world for you. But it tastes great. Don't eat it like more than once in a while. <laughs> like a long while. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to reconnect with you here. And I always like to I always like to give the guest the microphone, so to speak. You just never know who's listening in. Yeah. What would you say to anyone who's joining us? Oh, I don't know. I would just say, you know, life is tough. You know, every year, it seems we all have our challenges, mm. but I would tell people to keep your chin up, you know, no matter how dark things get, no matter what life throws at you, I would say that you can persevere, especially if you have supportive people that love you. And I do think, uh, I do think that's important to surround yourself with good, positive people, try to be the best person you can. And things have a way of working out in the end, you know, tomorrow's a new day and never give up. Very well put. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Paul. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Bartenfeld has left the building. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, man. All thank right, you buddy. so much. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. We'll see you. You bet. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer. Written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano. The traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour. <laughs> <laughs>